0: Streaming on the web since 1996, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to today's episode of The Flagship Show on the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Woods, and today we're presenting an interesting show. I'll tell you a little bit more about it in just a moment. Before we get into the meat and potatoes of this show... I just want to remind you that Cinematic Sound Radio has a Patreon at patreon.com slash cinematicsoundradio. There you can sign up for one of the tiers. The lowest is just a dollar a month. We have a thriving community over there right now. And we have new patrons signing up each week, offering their support. And I really, really do appreciate it. So check us out again, patreon.com slash cinematicsoundradio. And for those listening to the show today... If you sign up for uh, the tiers that are 5 bucks and over, uh, you get to participate in the upcoming all-request show. So, the show today, you probably saw by the banner on our website, and if you didn't, then I'm just going to tell you right now that the the Oscars are coming up this weekend, and they suck. This is why. First of all, this has nothing to do with the music branch's selection of the five nominated scores. That's their personal list of the top five scores of the year. I may not agree with them. You might not agree with them. You might agree with them. Whatever, it's okay. But there's no reason for me to go on a rant about a list that is subjective. I've done that numerous times in my life, and I'm really getting tired of it. However, I despise the fact that they disregard scores from films that aren't critical darlings. It happens quite often, but unless you're John Williams, who scored one of the worst films of the year, don't even think about getting your exceptional score nominated for an Oscar because the film sucked. Now, I'm, I'm sure the, the studios are working hard to get their films and scores recognized with numerous advertising campaigns And I hope that the music branch are making their own decisions without being influenced by those outside forces. But who knows how it goes down there. And another problem I've experienced with the Academy Awards, and this has bothered me for years, it's to the point where I no longer watch the Academy Awards. Uh, You can see clearly that the Academy doesn't care about the secondary categories like sound, editing, special effects, or musical score as a whole. Oh, but don't they adore the original song category? I mean, with a four-minute performance of Adele or Lady Gaga and Billie Eilish, they can attract more viewers to their overproduced, overlong show. But rather than see, let's say, Roger Deakins win back-to-back Academy Awards uh, for cinematography or for any composer who wins to speak about their work, even if it's someone like Hildur Gunnedater, a rare woman composer, who won the Oscar, who gave one of the most inspirational acceptance speeches of all time, but because she's not Nicole Kidman, no one will notice, or they'll just forget. But really, it was this year when the Academy demonstrated to me that they really don't care about the secondary categories, and I have never formally boycotted the Oscars here on this show, but it was announced in February that the documentary, short, film editing, makeup and hairstyling, original score, production design, animated short, live action short, and sound category winners would not be broadcast during the Oscar program. Instead, they'll be pre-recorded before the live show. This is, without a doubt, one of the most insensitive things the Oscars have done in a long time, if not ever. They're declaring to the world that these categories are irrelevant. They'll just get them out of the way so we can watch another dance routine or boring video montage and a politically charged acceptance speech that no one wants to watch or hear. While a few Academy members spoke out against these modifications, Nothing they said or did had much of an impact, and none of them have indicated that they will stay at home until this farce is resolved. I'm also disturbed to see that so many articles and podcasts devoted to this phony awards show, where millionaires pat themselves on the back, aren't boycotting the awards as well. I mean, I've dedicated shows to the Oscars over the years, And and in some other shows, I've even highlighted composers that have won or been nominated for Academy Awards. Well, that is no longer the case as of today. I'm not going to bring up the Academy again until they change their ways. And I'm not going to promote their lame show either. The Oscars do indeed suck. So instead, I'll discuss what I enjoyed last year. How about that? So, Today is part one of a two-part series called The Oscars Suck, or Eric's Favorite Scores of 2021. I like the sound of that. So with all that out of the way, let's get into our first selection today. And this is going to be a bit of a different program from the shows that I've produced in the past. I'm not doing a top 10 countdown or a top 20 countdown. I'm just going to play for you single tracks, or, or at times lengthy suites from scores that I enjoyed in 2021. So none of these are ranked, with the exception of my favorite score of 2021, which I'll play as the last selection on part two of this show. So we begin with music from a film called Don't Look Up, an apocalyptic black comedy, written, produced, and directed by Adam McKay, and starring an ensemble cast, including Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Rob Morgan, Jonah Hill, Mark Rylance, Tyler Perry, Timothy Chalamet, Ron Perlman, Ariana Grande, Kate Blanchett, and Meryl Streep tells the story of two astronomers attempting to warn humanity about an approaching comet that will destroy human civilization. I found the film to be pretty engaging and at times quite humorous, It wasn't particularly subtle, but I put have got the point across. Composer Nicholas Bertel, a frequent collaborator of Adam McKay's, composed the film's score. Tonally, the music is a little all over the place. But my goodness, Bertel constructs a gigantic, classic, dramatic cue that ramps up to a spectacular launch of the spaceship in the middle of the film, where a rocket is launched to release nukes to kill the comet it's pretty spectacular. Music from the film Don't Look Up, composed by Nicholas Bertel. Up next, the music from Dune. Uh, This was one of the big films of 2021. Uh, I won't go into the details of the movie. You most likely know what it's about. You might have seen the 1984 David Lynch version. You might have seen the television series. But yeah, this one grabbed a hold of me and really didn't let go. And I rarely listen to a score without first hearing it in context, but I I felt compelled to do so with this film. It's a beautiful film that completely engulfs you in its vast universe and refuses to let go for two and a half hours. Now there is a sequel announced, thank goodness, because I want director Denny Villeneuve to return to this world as soon as possible. It's a fantastic world to explore. And on a technical level, this film is absolutely perfect. I was never yanked out of a scene by a shaky special effect shot. Rebecca Ferguson, on the other hand, stole the show. Uh, she's the emotional heart of the picture, and I was really hoping that she would win all the awards in 2021. Uh, the score, on the other hand, by Hans Zimmer is hypnotic, uh, and because my first encounter with the score was in the film, it had a monothematic feel to it. There was this main sensual theme that really uh, stuck with me, especially when it was performed with such vigor by the, the film's solo vocalist. Now, later on, I was informed that there are at least eight noticeable themes or motifs in the score, It was such a pleasure to discover them when composer Spencer Crean offered a a spreadsheet to me to outline all the the thematic material. So it was great to go through the score again and then really pick out where all of these these themes and motifs were. Some just, you know, hidden in the background, but they are there. Fantastic stuff. The rest of the score felt like a tone poem. Uh, Strange, otherworldly sounds are mixed with Big, beefy chords, staccato drums, electronic pulses, twinkling synths, whispers, ethereal choruses, and tortured vocals. You never know when one cue ends and the other begins. It just flowed effortlessly over the picture, creating this perfect synergy of sound and visuals. And as the film wrapped up, My Road Leads Into the Desert ends with something a bit more modern with these rolling power chords and a final performance of the score's main theme by Loire Kotler, which sent shivers up and down my body. It's a it's a moment I will never forget. Zimmer's score is it's not your typical drone score, because the score has movement. Anybody says it's just a drone score is is incorrect. It's also very dynamic. It's always moving forward. It reminds me of one of my favorite scores of all time a video game score called The Dig by Michael Land. I love the ethereal, spiritual, hypnotic quality of the music. Gorgeous chords, harmonies, and voicings. They're all moving along smoothly with a wide range of diverse and exciting sounds. And exciting sounds is a key part of this score because Hans Zimmer crafted brand new instruments that have never been heard or played before for this score. And uh, if you want to get a taste of what those instruments were, check out a video that came out from Vanity Fair. They interviewed Hans Zimmer about the score and him crafting these new sounds. It's it's quite a fascinating watch. And you can clearly hear and feel that this was a passion project for Hans Zimmer, something that he was destined to score. I mean, would a more traditional orchestral score be easier to digest for some, easier to appreciate? I guess so. But when you see Hans Zimmer's name on a picture, you really have to set aside any expectations. Because for better or worse, he's not going to do the traditional. Even though I dislike the man personally, and we can talk about that on another show later. Dune is a fantastic score. And I'm astonished to hear myself say those type of things about a score of this sort. Because years ago, a score of this style probably would have irritated me and I would have just dismissed it like many have as just being simply drones or sound design. There's more to it than that and I'm glad that this score exceeded my expectations and I'm happy to consider it to be one of Zimmer's finest achievements. So with that all out of the way, Here's a lengthy suite of music from the film that I constructed utilizing material both from the original soundtrack recording and the sketchbook album. a suite from Hans Zimmer's score to Dune. On the air and streaming on the web since 1996, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Let's get into some epic fantasy adventure scores. One of my favorite genres. We're going to begin with The Curse of Turandot, a Chinese romantic fantasy film. The story is derived from the same folktale that inspired Puccini's great opera, Turandot. The film follows Princess Turandot, who is cursed by a mysterious power emanating from three bracelets that were given to her as birthday gifts. And these bracelets turn the princess. She becomes cruel and loses her humanity. These epic Chinese films really embrace massive, traditional, thematic symphonic scores. And you'll find that many Hollywood composers are flocking to these films to stretch their wings and write music for a film that truly plays to their strengths. Simon Franklin, a frequent collaborator of the late James Horner for years, and now the composer of the Avatar sequels, got a chance to test out his epic symphonic sound on this score. This score combines the lushness, the timeless thematic beauty of many James Horner scores, and the modern electronic sensibilities of some contemporary scores that feature keyboards synthesizers and electronic percussion this combination results in a distinctive sounding score that will appeal to fans of both classic and contemporary music the album's final cue presents the listener with a -a one-of-a-kind cue showcasing the score's stunning main theme Music from the film, The Curse of Turandot, with original music composed by Simon Franklin. Sticking with the theme of epic fantasy adventure scores, we now move on to My Country, My Parents. And again, we're talking about another Chinese film. My Country, My Parents focuses on four Chinese families in four different eras and combines four stories into one. Film music journalist John Broxton of Movie Music UK had this to say about the film, and I quote It's clearly a pro communist propaganda piece, as it was funded by the Chinese government and was released to coincide with the 72nd anniversary of the establishment of the People's Republic of China as part of a larger project called the National Day Celebration Trilogy, alongside the earlier films My People, My Country. And my people, my homeland. End quote. The segment, Wind Riders, was written by Gordy Hobb from Star Wars video game fame. Hobb was hired pretty late into the game. It's a sweeping orchestral score, it's monothematic with traditional Chinese orchestration and heavy drums. The dramatic final battle sequence is the real highlight of the score. Music from the sequence Wind Riders from the film My Country My Parents with original score composed by Gordy Hobb. We're now going to move on to television scores. Arcane League of Legends was one of the biggest surprises I saw last year and I owe it to my 12 year old daughter no less. It's a beautifully animated action adventure drama based on Riot Games' massively successful video game series set in their League of Legends universe. And focusing on sisters Vi or Six and Jinx. It's a gripping, heartfelt tale about socioeconomic classes, magic, and familial ties. If you haven't seen the series yet, I strongly advise you do so. It's on Netflix, it's worth your time. I mean, just to look at the artwork, it's magnificent. I'm actually surprised I enjoyed it because in my experience, any video game property adapted for television or for big screen is a catastrophic failure that rarely, if ever, matches the expansive worlds and narrative found in these games. Arcane is a completely unique, original, and well-created concept. It is a, as I said, just absolutely blew my mind, totally caught me by surprise, And I'm really glad that my daughter introduced me to it. There are two aspects about the music in the show that I absolutely love. First is the series opening title song called Enemy by Imagine Dragons featuring J.I.D. Usually I'm not a songs person, but my daughter, no less, told me to give it a chance and I'm glad I did. According to Imagine Dragons, the song reflects Arcane's story of conflict between two sisters leading to a division that threatens to tear a city apart. It's stunning, catchy, and I never skipped the intro of any of the episodes once, just so I can hear this song. I
1: wake up to the sounds of the silence that allows for my mind to run around with my ear up to the ground. I'm searching to behold the stories that I told when my back is to the world that was smiling when I turned.
0: The second aspect of the music that I really enjoyed, of course, was the score proper written by Alexander Temple and Alex Seaver, who also worked on the game. The score is a fascinating hybrid that moves from string ostinato-driven action cues to electronics and synth pads. Other times, there are purely orchestral pieces with strings, winds, and voices that are all wonderfully orchestrated. The harmonies are absolutely beautiful in this score. The action is exciting. Think John Powell in uh, Born mode. Uh, there's a little romance in the later episodes. And uh, over top of that one particular scene, composers Temple and Seaver lay on one of the best love themes that I've heard in a long time. from arcane league of legends with original score composed by alexander temple and alex sear we have to take a quick break but when we return we'll feature more of my favorite scores from 2021
1: apm music offers limitless potential for your creative content no matter the genre or mood all the music you need is on one platform and you don't have to worry about licensing apm's got that covered Need help finding the perfect track? APM's dedicated music directors can deliver curated
0: options designed specifically for your creative vision. APM's website uses best-in-class search technology, so finding the perfect track is easier than ever. Find your sound at apmmusic.com. You're listening to The Flagship Show on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network with your host Eric Woods. Welcome back to the show. That was the Masters of the Universe Revelation theme, the extended version composed by Bear McCreary. There is just so much goodness in this score that, I mean, a single track can't do the score justice. And I mean, there's an epic, and I really, truly do mean epic, finale action sequence is 25 minutes long, and Bear McCreary scored the entirety of it. And he wrote... Some of the most striking testosterone-filled action material that calls back to scores like Conan the Barbarian, Cull the Conqueror, and The Scorpion King. And, well, you know, we have so many scores to get through on this program uh, today and on part two that I'll leave a longer suite from this score for another day. I highly recommend, though, that you do pick this up if you do like rocking symphonic scores, and there are two albums. And they're both just absolutely fabulous. Continuing with television scores, we're now going to move on to two memorable entries that come from Marvel Studios. The first cue we're going to play for you comes from the surprisingly good WandaVision, which explored grief and loss. Surprisingly dramatic. Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany are excellent in reprising their roles as Wanda Maximoff and Vision. The series takes place three weeks after the events of Avengers Endgame in 2019, and Wanda and Vision are living an idyllic suburban life in the town of Westview, New Jersey, and trying to conceal their true identities. As their surroundings begin to move through different decades, and they encounter various television tropes, the couple suspects that things are not as they seem. Ant-Man composer Christoph Beck was the score composer on this show. While traveling through these numerous TV sitcom eras in the show, Beck had to adapt his music for each era from the 1950s all the way through to the present. The theme for Maximoff was utilized in a mysterious, haunting way during the end title sequence. Music from WandaVision, with music composed by Christoph Beck. The other Marvel show that impressed was Loki. The series takes place after the events of the film Avengers Endgame, in which an alternate version of Loki created a new timeline. Tom Hiddleston reprises his role as Loki, the god of mischief from the film's series. After stealing the Tesseract during the events of Avengers Endgame, An alternate version of Loki is brought to the mysterious Time Variance Authority, the TVA, a bureaucratic organization that exists outside of time and space and monitors the timeline. They give Loki a choice, face being erased from existence due to being a time variant, or help fix the timeline and stop a greater threat. The score for the series written by newcomer Natalie Holt. John Burlingame interviewed Holt for Variety and he describes the score as, quote, The music of Loki is a bold combination of traditional orchestra with vintage analog synthesizers, Scandinavian folk instruments, and the weird unsettling electronic sounds of the theremin once associated with 50s sci-fi movies, End quote. Her hiring was inspired, and Holt didn't disappoint with her opportunity of a lifetime crafting a memorable theme the likes we really haven't heard in the MCU thus far. Music from the television series Loki, with original score composed by Natalie Holt. Up next, music from Claret. This is a historical biopic from Spain that tells the life and story of Antonio Maria Claret, usually known as Padre Claret, who founded the religious order of the missionary sons of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, commonly called the Claritians in Spain in the mid-1800s. The score called for a spiritual, haunting, dramatic, sweeping, grand orchestral score. And you know what? This film was made in Spain, and much like the Chinese and Japanese, the Spanish don't shy away from scores that are inspired, they tell you something, take command of the film's emotion and vision, and doesn't back away. The one to bring this outstanding score to life was the young Spanish composer Oscar Martín Llanes Barutia who won the 2021 IFMCA Breakthrough Composer of the Year Award. The CD opens with a magnificent rendition of the score's main theme for cello and orchestra, and it's simply amazing. It's a richly textured work that ranks among the best I've heard in the last few years. Music from the historical biopic, Claret, with original score composed by Oscar Martin, Liena's Barutia. On the air and streaming on the web since 1996, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. We're going to close today's program with music from two scores composed by James Newton Howard, who won three 2021 IFMCA awards for his score to Raya and the Last Dragon, Jungle Cruise, and for Composer of the Year. Raya and the Last Dragon was a Walt Disney Animation Studios film. It takes place in the fantasy world of Kamandra. Where humans and dragons live together in harmony however when sinister monsters known as the druin threatened the land the dragons sacrificed themselves to save humanity now in the movie we are 500 years later and those same monsters have returned and it's up to a lone warrior to track down the last dragon and stop the druin for good when news dropped that james newton howard was going to return to scoring a disney animated film the film music community celebrated. James Newton Howard wrote three brilliant scores for Disney animated features in the early 2000s. Dinosaur, Atlantis, The Lost Empire, and Treasure Planet. All three are exceptional scores. The Reyes score's extensive usage of electronics, rock, and electronica beats is one of the score's biggest surprises and something that turned off a few people about this score. However, with some patented heroic action scoring and gorgeous mysticism, James Newton Howard's more traditional voice shines through as well. The Cue the Return is an excellent example of this. Music from Rhea and the Last Dragon, with the original score composed by James Newton Howard. The second James Newton Howard score we're going to present for you comes from Jungle Cruise. The film, of course, is based on the Disney World ride of the same name. Disney has had some success with incorporating their rides as films. For example, Pirates of the Caribbean, Haunted Mansion, and Tomorrowland. Jungle Cruise stars Emily Blunt and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Not a particularly interesting movie. The action is rather boring and the film looks really ugly. There's this yellow-green tint hue over everything. It's it's actually rather gross. The score, however, is a lot of fun. For those disappointed with the non-traditional aspects of his score Terea, would certainly enjoy this more traditional flavored score. It's a big, multi-themed score written for over 100 players, including chorus and a barrage of percussion. A magnificent suite that starts the album brings together many of the score's primary thematic ideas. Music from Jungle Cruise by James Newton Howard. Now, I I know I said we were going to end with James Newton Howard, but there is one more score that I wanted to play for you before the show ends, and I have an interesting story to tell you that goes along with it. The film is The Girl Who Believes in Miracles. It's a Christian drama film directed and produced by Richard Carroll, film stars Mira Cervino, Peter Coyote, and Kevin Sorbo score was written by Craig Flaster. Now, back in January, Craig contacted me to share his score with me. Now, as part of his email, he mentioned that he used to listen to cinematic sound radio as a teenager. Now, when he said that, his name began to register with me. I I knew I heard the name before, so I went to my email account and searched for Craig's name, and lo and behold, Back in 2011, Craig contacted me. He was in university at the time and told me that he'd been listening to the show as far back as high school. He mentioned that he was actually just starting a blog. Not sure how many of you are familiar with the now defunct Score Points blog, but that was Craig's, where he would write about film music and write film music reviews. And after that, I never heard from him again, but then Craig reached out to me about his new score. He ended his message with the following, quote, Thank you for all the hours I spent listening to you. You have no idea how big a part of the shows were of my years as a developing film and film music enthusiast turned composer, End quote. I never expect someone to be inspired by my show. However, this message astounded me. It is a huge honor to be a small part of any composer's artistic journey. The cherry on top was Craig's score for The Girl Who Believes in Miracles, which, in Craig's words, is a bit of a throwback, with big melodic themes that develop throughout, played by an orchestra, recorded in Oklahoma. This is genuinely gorgeous music, composed by someone who has definitely done their studies and recognizes the importance of a film's emotional center. Great work, Greg. You have undeniable skill and I wish you continued success as a film composer so to close out today's show I present for you a lengthy suite from one of my biggest surprises of 2021 the girl who believes in miracles by Craig Blaster that's it for our Oscars sucks show part one we'll have part two for you shortly. Until then, take care, everybody, wherever you are in the world, and happy listening. Thank you for listening to the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast. I want to thank Tim Burton for providing his voice for all the bumpers you hear throughout the program. And to David Casina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's theme music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And wherever you're listening to us today, please take a moment right now to leave us a rating and a review of the podcast. You can get a Cinematic Sound Radio t-shirt at our T Public Store. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cinematicsoundradio. And don't forget to check us out on the web at cinematicsound.net.